Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads, whether you are joining us online or whether you are in the building. Again, we know that lots of people are on fall break, so our hope is that if you're not joining us physically in the building today at 8.30 or at 10 o'clock, that you'll join us online uh, today live at, like I said, at 10 o'clock, or you can join us later by watching it on our Facebook page. Now, we wrapped up our Summer at Crossroads series last weekend, and uh, again, it was a great morning, and uh, I, I mentioned that uh, we're going to be starting a brand new series, which we're starting today. And let me just say, before we even dive in the series today, there's something I want to let you know before we get into this installment of the series. Uh, if you remember uh, a series we did called Questions, uh, well, this series, that series was, uh, the last time we did it was several months ago. Uh, but this series is going to be a lot like that series, uh, Questions, uh, in that uh, this is going to be a series that this has three installments this time. Uh, but this will be one of those series that we come back to like we did the question series. Uh, and again, I, I just want you to know that because, again, when you see it in six more months or three more months or another year or year and a half, uh, it's not going to be the same three messages that you heard uh, today, next week, and the next week, uh, because the title of this series is Thoughts, Threads, and Trends. A and you may not have realized it, but those three things appear throughout the Bible. Now, again, I don't know if you're a regular Bible reader, but if you're not, uh, I want to encourage you to find a translation of the Bible that suits you and to pick it up and to read it. Because here's the thing, if you will, if you will take the time to read the Bible, you're going to see different thoughts, different threads, and different trends throughout the Scripture. See, for most people, when they, when they look at the Bible, they think about the Bible as a, as a bunch of different books that have been put together. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the Bible is one big story. And the Bible tells that entire story. And that story is really about how Jesus redeems the world. So what that means is that you're going to find different things woven throughout the pages of the Bible. And one of the things that you find, which really raises my curiosity throughout Scripture, one of the things that you find are numbers. I mean, think about it. Numbers are all over the Bible. I mean, just give it some thought. You find numbers in Genesis all the way to Revelation. I mean, one day there's this little boy who shows up with five loaves and two fish, and everybody's life has changed. In the Old Testament, we have 12 tribes, and in the New Testament, we have 12 disciples. God created the world in six days, and then he took one day of rest. There was this shepherd who knew where 99 of his sheep were, but he left the 99 to go and find the one that was lost. As a matter of fact, God loves numbers so much that he actually gives us a book of the Bible called Numbers. And so today and next week and the week after that, we're going to look at a number that is found in Scripture. And the number we're going to be looking at is the number three. Because we want to highlight some of the themes that will help us understand God and how God ends up relating to us. I mean, when you, when you think about the, wor the, the, the number three in our world today, I mean, it has a lot of relevance, especially right now. Because, again, you have Major League Baseball. I don't follow it. Uh, I did happen to see it last night when I was flipping through the channels. But, again, when you have Major League Baseball or baseball in general, what it's three strikes and you're out. I mean, think about it. In hockey, three goals, I think, in the same game is called a hat trick. You, you can watch a movie in what? 
3D. You can make any color by using the three primary colors. And if you're a kid and your parents are counting to three, then that means that you're probably about to be in trouble. Again, when we think about life, the number three is everywhere in our world. And honestly, it's exactly the same way in the Bible. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the life of one person who we find in the Bible. And as we look at the life of this one person, we're going to see that he experienced three of the craziest days and the craziest nights that anyone will have to go through. But before we dive into that, I want to ask two very simple questions. Because I think these two questions are very important when it comes to our time today and what we're going to look at. Here's, here's the first question. When we look at this in just a moment, what does this teach us about God? That's what I want you to ask as we go through this in a moment. What does this teach us about God? And here's the second question. How does this change the way that you and I live? What does this teach us about God? And then how does this change the way that you and I live? Now, if you have your Bible or your Bible app and you want to follow along, we're going to go uh, start at Jonah chapter 1. And as you're getting there or looking there or, or, or preparing to be there, I just want you to think. Sometimes in life, you're like me, you find yourself in a situation that's not really what you want. I mean, all of us have found ourselves in a situation that's not really what we wanted. A and in that situation, sometimes it's easier to blame other people about what's going on or where you find yourself. And you can kind of say, it was them. It was what they did. It was their decisions that put me in the place that I find myself. But then there are those other times. When you can look at where, you're fi where you find yourself, and as you look around, you simply see, you know, there's just not anyone else to blame. Because you're the one. You're the one who's responsible for getting yourself in the place that you find yourself. So in Jonah chapter 1, we're going to find a guy who finds himself in one of those situations. One of those moments where he has nobody to blame but himself. I mean, he's the one who's responsible for putting himself in the situation that he finds himself in. And it's the darkest moment of his life. And when he looks at the situation, there just doesn't seem like there's any way that he can find a way out of the situation. So I have to say, whether you're in the audience here or whether you're listening or watching online, it just kind of makes me wonder. When I look at you, are you just like Jonah? Are you just like this guy that we're talking about? Because maybe the last week of your life has been the lowest week of your life. And as you look at your life, you would like to blame other people for the place that you find yourself. But you just know that you're the one that's responsible for the place that you find yourself in. And it's a dark place. And here's the thing. You know, when, you, when we find ourselves in a really dark place, We start asking crazy questions. Well, they're not really crazy. They're really, I mean, they're very, very, very important questions. Like, is there any hope? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? 
Is it possible for God to redeem what I have done? So here's the thing this morning. If that's you, I just want you to look and watch the life of Jonah. And I want you to watch. Listen, 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 listen. I want you to watch how God interacts with him and how God loves him. And I want you to realize that if you feel like Jonah, just watch how God interacts and loves him and realize that that same opportunity is available to you today wherever you find yourself. Because, see, I know, like me, you've had a bad day. And some of you, like me, have had a string of bad days. But regardless of how bad those bad days might have been, I can guarantee that it wasn't as bad and it didn't go as bad as it did for Jonah. Look at, look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. We've already teased you with it. We're going to show it to you again. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Here's what it says. It says, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now I can guarantee you've had a bad day. But I also can guarantee you didn't end up in the stomach of a fish. So the real question is this. What did Jonah do to end up in the belly of a fish? I mean, because if you find yourself in the belly of a fish, that's like rock bottom, right? It's like rock bottom. That's the, that's the worst thing that could probably happen to you in life. Because again, it's, it's just like rock bottom. Now think about rock bottom for a moment. And think about your life. And I want to lay something out there that I think we all need to think about. And the thing that you and I need to think about is that nobody, no one, wakes up one day and just all of a sudden find themselves at rock bottom. It just doesn't happen that way. Rock bottom in your life is just not something that suddenly happens. Instead, here's the thing I would propose to you. Rock bottom for all of us is a journey. It's a journey. It's, it's a road that people travel to get to that destination. Because you see, when you think about rock bottom, there's this reality that I want, I, want, I want you to see this. And this reality is this. Your life is the culmination of the decisions that you make. Now think about that. The destination of your life, of our life, is going to be the decisions that you and I make. I mean, think about it. When it's all over, when the story ends, when the credits roll, and everything in your life fades to black, our lives are a culmination of the decisions that we have made. And I think what m the mistake that most of us make is, is that we look at life and we think that, you know, our story is going to be about all the big things that we did, the, the big moments in life, like the college we went to, the career that we chose, who did we marry, did we have children, do we like our children? I mean, I, I, mean, I think that's, that's what a lot of us think. But I would throw it out there this morning that I don't think it's so much about the big things. It's not about the big moments. It's all those small decisions. Those little things that 
nobody is around to see. And those little decisions, they accumulate. And they stack up. And quite honestly, those little decisions can snowball to the point that you feel like your life is out of control. But see, here's the thing. It's those small moments. It's those decisions along the way that end up determining your destination. So here's the thing. How did Jonah make so many decisions along the way that those decisions put him in the belly of a fish for a three-day weekend? Well, we have to go back. We have to go back. Look look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. The Lord gave this message to Jonah. That should say son. And let me just say there's a couple of uh, uh, grammatical things in here, and they are my fault because when I sinned, I didn't send it right. But somebody should have proofread it. But again, I'll take responsibility. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So Jonah has a job. And his job is to be a prophet. And a prophet was somebody who was supposed to be the mouthpiece of God or for God to God's people. That simply meant if you're a prophet, when God had something to say to his people, then God would give the message to the prophet. And it was the job of the prophet to deliver the unaltered message to the people of God. But this assignment was just a little bit different. Because Jonah was supposed to go to the city of Nineveh, a city inhabited by people who didn't follow the God of Jonah. And Jonah was supposed to tell them that God was about to bring destruction on them and put it into the party. And it's not a great assignment. Because when you get to know the audience that Jonah was supposed to deliver the message to, then you start to understand it gets to be a little bit intimidating. Because, see, the city of Nineveh belonged to a nation called Assyria. And in our world today, the Assyrians would be what you and I know as a terrorist. Because they were infamous when it came to cruelty. Especially the cruelty of the people that they did not like, their enemies. Let me help you understand what I mean. For example, in battle, if they captured an an enemy, their enemy, here's what the Assyrians would do. They would cut off one of their arms so they could shake hands with the other arm while the enemy was dying. Nice, huh? They would cut people's heads off and then make their loved ones carry the decapitated head in a parade after they had been defeated. They skinned people alive. They removed their tongue out of their mouth. And they did all of these things because cruelty was something that they were good at. So Jonah was supposed to go to these people one day and say, you guys don't know me and you don't follow the God that I follow, but you need to understand one day God's going to show up and he's going to kill all of y'all. That was his job. And to Jonah, listen, that didn't sound like fun. But there's something that you may not know. See, we find out later in the book of Jonah that not only was Jonah not excited about the content of the message that he was supposed to deliver, and not only was he intimidated by the audience, but Jonah made this decision that he didn't think that the people of Nineveh deserved the heads up. 
he, he just made the decision that, you know what, I don't like them. I hate them. And I'm rooting for God to do the very thing that God said he's going to do. Because I want to see those people destroyed. But I don't think they deserve to know. So since Jonah didn't want to deliver the message, he didn't want to talk to the people, and he didn't think that they deserved a heads up when it came to what God was going to do, I want you to see the reason as it relates to what Jonah does next. Here's what it says. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, Jonah knew that he was supposed to go to Nineveh. And let me tell you, this wasn't complicated. He knew where he was supposed to go, and he knew the message that he was supposed to deliver. But he says, I'm not going to do it. Instead of not doing it, I'm going to do exactly the opposite. And I love what it says. Jonah was hoping to escape from the Lord. Come on, somebody, that sounds familiar, don't it? Jonah was hoping to escape from the Lord. See, I don't know, but maybe that's you this morning. Maybe God has asked you to do something, and when you look at what God has asked you to do, it's scary. So you have hope to escape from the Lord. Or maybe you just want to do what you want to do. Because you don't want anybody to tell you how to live. See, that's all fine, well, and good, but here, here's this thing. There's this really pesky character trait of God that I want to show you this morning. And this really pesky character trait of God is this. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. That's what that word means. God spoke the world into being. And the thing that we have to understand is that God has been everywhere. Now think about this, because some of you don't even think about this. God has seen all of your actions, and he's heard all of your thoughts. So you can't outrun God. But even though we can't outrun God, every one of you, and even me, has tried it. We've tried to do exactly that. And see, here's how it starts. It usually starts with these little steps. Like we slowly disconnect from the faith community, the church that means so, so much to us. And we do that so that we can hide. And we stop filling ourselves with God's truth. And then we go out into the world and we start listening to the voices in the world that affirm the desires that we have. And then before long, we start eliminating those good habits that keep us connected to God. And we connect those good habits with other habits that push us away from God. You see, here's the thing. Jonah, because Jonah didn't like the call that God has put, had put on his life, he thought he was going to run from God. But he was running from the God, or a God, that's absolutely everywhere. But, but, but then what we're about to see in verse 4, 
It may not seem like the nicest thing that God could have done, but I promise you it's the best thing that could have ever happened to Jonah. Check out what God does as a response, verse 4 and 5. Here's what it says. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, again, he's on this ship to Tarshish, fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. See, Jonah thought that he was going to run from God, but what did God do? God hurled a powerful storm into the path of Jonah. So now we have this storm that's not only threatening the life of Jonah, it's also threatening the life of the sailors on the ship. And these guys are just innocent. But it brings us to a place. An interesting place that I think we all need to see. And here's the place it brings us to. When you think about sin, every sin has a storm. Think about that. When you think about sin, every sin has a storm. Every time you make a decision to do what you know you shouldn't do, every time that you fall short, you just got to realize there's always going to be a sin, a storm associated with that sin. Because if you're like me and you've been following Jesus, you know what you've done? You've done the very same thing that I've done. You've tried to rationalize your sin. Nobody knows what I'm doing. Nobody knows, and, and if nobody knows, it's not, it's not really a big deal. So we've invented this category that I call victimless sin. And we think because it, as long as nobody else gets hurt, it's not a big deal. But I need you to remember where we started today. Look, look at where we started. The destination of our lives is the culmination of the decisions that we make. Every sin has a storm. Every sin that you commit and that I commit has an effect. It affects the way that you see the world. It affects the way that you see other people. And regardless, listen, 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 listen. And regardless of what you have convinced yourself of this morning, your sin always affects the other people in your life. See, sin always starts small. But it grows. And, and maybe it starts in the office. You know, office gossip where you're just making fun of somebody. And then it turns into bitterness. Why does it turn into bitterness? Because you and I become experts at the shortcomings of other people. And we look at other people and we start getting bitter about the opportunities that those other people have. And, and no longer do we see them in the office as much-loved sons and daughters of God who created them in His image. But instead, those people in the office become fodder for our enjoyment so we can make fun of them and so that we can feel better about ourselves. So it starts as gossip, and it goes from gossip to bitterness, and then it goes from bitterness to cynicism. Because when you start seeing the shortcomings of other people, the people in your life, then you'll start seeing the shortcom shortcomings of everybody of everyone. So it goes from gossip to bitterness, from bitterness to cynicism, and then from cynicism to self-loathing. Because if you and I are acutely aware of the shortcomings of the entire world, 
then guess what we're going to see when we look in the mirror? When you look in the mirror, you're going to see your own shortcomings. We're not going to see any good anywhere. Sin always starts small. But then it grows. I mean, nobody means to be greedy. Nobody starts out being greedy. Let me tell you, greed is something that just happens over time. Greed usually starts with a sense of entitlement. But then entitlement grows into worry. And eventually it goes into blame. We're blaming other people. Well, it's their fault that I'm not generous. Some of you right now, you're blaming the economy. You're blaming other people. You're blaming inflation. You're blaming the political party that you don't line up with. And you look at your life and you realize that it's been two years since you have even started to think about giving any of your dollars away to other things and other causes. And it's all under the gaze of responsibility, physical responsibility. But let me just tell you what it is. It's greed. Under the surface, it's greed. It starts small. And it grows. I mean, no one on their wedding day dreams of being unfaithful. I mean, think about it. Why would you start out that way? It starts out small. And before you know it, you're signing the papers to end something that you said would last forever. Remember, it starts small and it grows. Because the destination of our lives is the culmination of the decisions that we make. So with Jonah, let me tell you where it started. It started when Jonah failed to trust trust God. He didn't trust that God had a good plan. He didn't trust that the Ninevites needed the heads up. He didn't trust that God was going to protect him when he went to deliver the message as the prophet. So instead, what does Jonah do? Jonah goes in the opposite direction. He books a three-hour cruise and now finds himself in the middle of a storm. And he understands that this storm isn't just impacting his life. It's impacting the innocent lives of the sailors, the other people on the boat. And he knows, he knows that it's all his fault. So Jonah goes to the sailors and he tells them, hey guys, it's on me, it's all on me. It's all on me, it's all my fault. Here's what I'll tell you, if you'll just throw me overboard, it'll all, the moment that I hit the water, the storm is going to stop. But now think about this, because the sailors were the not murdering kind of people, that's just not who they were. They say, no, we're not going to throw you overboard. And they keep fighting, trying to, to make things happen where they could survive. But nothing's working. So the sailors reach a point <laughs> where they pray to Jonah's God and ask them, ask God to forgive them in advance for what they were about to do. And they pick Jonah up and they throw him in the water. And the moment that Jonah hits the water, the storm is over. It's done. And they're amazed and they're intrigued. And you know what they do? They begin immediately to worship God. The God of Jonah. As Jonah is slowly drifting to the bottom of the ocean. And that brings us back to where we started. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. Here's what it says. 
Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now think about this. You're in the stomach of a fish, the belly of a fish, and I'm going to tell you, that's rock bottom. But here's the thing. It was at rock bottom that Jonah was about to discover something that was absolutely amazing. I I like what another author said. We're going to put it on the screen so that you can see this. Here's what this other author said. But not until he was all the way down, Jonah, finally stripped of his own buoyant self-sufficiency, was deliverance possible. Think about that. It wasn't until Jonah had been stripped of all of his pride, left by himself, and he had no other recourse on his own, and in that moment realized his need for God, guess what he found? He found the grace that had been there the whole time. He found the grace of God that had been there the whole time. And I'm here to tell you, that is one of the greatest realizations that you will ever come to. And that's exactly the place that we find Jonah at the end of his three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish. Look at what what he prays. Here's what he prays. He says, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty, there's another, there's the, yeah, there's another Arab that I made. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those, who's, those who worship false gods turned their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you and songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Jonah finally understood. It wasn't until three days and three nights in that fish. It wasn't until he was finally desperate that he finally understood who he was and who God was and what he needed the most. And look at what he says. And my salvation comes from the Lord alone. He knew he had no way out. Jonah knew that he couldn't figure it out. Jonah knew that there was no way out of his predicament. He needed God. He needed God to save him. And the thing that Jonah ended up finding was grace. The grace that was already there. The grace that was readily available. And all, look look, look right here, all Jonah needed to do was just admit. Admit that he needed it. See, here's the reality. The reality is this, that Jonah wouldn't be the only one to spend three days in a dark place. Because you see, when they they removed the body of Jesus from the cross, and they put him in the tomb, and they rolled that stone over the tomb, it was in those three days. In those three days, it felt like all hope was gone. 
Because again, the one who was supposed to change everything is now dead. The one that was supposed to change everything is now dead and lying in a cold, dark tomb. And those who were his followers, they were outraged. They were despondent. Because there didn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel. But on that third day, when the stone was rolled away and there was nobody there, Jesus did what you and I could not. He lived the perfect life that I couldn't pull off. He paid the price for my sins on the cross that I couldn't pay. He defeated our ultimate enemy, which is death. And all because of what Jesus has done. We've been made right with God. And all we have to do is get to the point where we say, my salvation, my hope, my life, my future. It all comes from God. Because he's the only one that can do it. Can I just ask you right now, if you would, all across this room, even if you're watching or listening online, would you just, would you just bow your heads? Every head bowed, every head closed, every eye closed. Because I just want to pray. And again this morning as we pray, I just want to pray for two different people. Because, see, I know there are a lot of us, especially in this service at Crossroads this morning, there are a lot of us that have been around a long time. And maybe you think, you know what, I've heard all of this. And when you think you've heard everything, let me tell you what happens. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The thing that is exceptional becomes expected. And it loses its pop. So my hope this morning, my prayer this morning, is that I hope that God will reinvigorate you with His love and His grace today. I also know this. In this room, watching and listening online, there are people who know exactly what Jonah was feeling. You know exactly where Jonah was. You know what he's feeling. And, and if that's you this morning, again, every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to lead you in a prayer. God, we are so grateful for the lives that you have highlighted in Scripture. Because again, when we look at those lives, they're people just like us. People who make unwise and foolish decisions. People again who, who are selfish like us. People who dig their own holes like us. But God, even when we dig our own holes, you don't leave us there. You don't leave us desperate. You don't leave us there in that hole without any hope. But instead, God, you have saved us. Because our salvation, like Jonah says, it comes from you alone. So God, will you this morning, will you just reinvigorate us with your love? With imagination. Just awaken our passion. And just remind us this morning how incredible really all of this really is. And, and let me just tell you this morning, for those, every head bowed, every eye closed, for those that have not received the gift of salvation, who have never made that decision, I want you to pray these words after me. Father, I need you. Because I can't do this on my own. I can't do it together and I can't pull it off. And God, I don't have to do it because you've already done it for me. 
So, Father, this morning, I just want to receive your grace. And, God, I'm just asking you to change me from the inside out because as of this moment, I want to follow you. So, God, do in my life what only you can do as I receive the gift of your son, Jesus. Because it's in Jesus' name this morning that we pray.